Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to this edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. If you are a first-time listener, I'm glad that you found me. Please reach out uh, with the contact information at the end of the show and tell me what you think. Give me any constructive criticism and the things that encouraged you that would really help me. And also, if there's anything I can pray for you about, I would really be glad to do that as well. For those that are returning, you know that last week I celebrated my 10th anniversary on the podcast, and although I did not receive the level of feedback I was hoping for, Adam McNutt and I had a good time recounting those past years as we put together this show for you. Adam's responsible for at least 260 probably episodes of the show, if not more. He was a consummate professional and he always made my podcast sound better than it should have so I just want to say another quick thank you to Adam McNutt and actually I will be appearing on his podcast the Momillennial podcast later this week so make sure that you check that out I'm so excited that Adam and Cece who used to do mornings at WJQ have decided to get into the podcasting world and I really feel like I'm in kind of an interesting podcasting tree uh, because I was brought into radio slash podcasting by Chris and Emily Danielson. They then started a podcast um, and Adam started a podcast with Cece and Russ Van Allen is there in my podcasting tree. I always get a little confused about what our order was, whether I discovered Russ before I started podcasting or right after, but regardless, he's a big part of what I do here on the Speaking for Him podcast. I've been able to guest host with him and be a regular contributor on the Menacing podcast. So just so thrilled to be a part of such a great podcasting legacy. And the real reason that I'm here each week is to encourage you and admonish you on this road that we call the Christian life. And today I have a very full show for you. Our main topic will be continuing on in our Unique Attributes of Christianity series, and we'll be dealing with the topic of suffering. Now, I'm looking for a better adjective, but for lack of a better adjective, I would say that this is a topic that I enjoy speaking of quite a bit, and I think it's because of the lessons that I have learned through suffering in my life, and we'll dig into that a little bit later in the show. But before we do that, I want to talk about what is going on. Well, as you know, uh, racial issues are front and center for our American culture these days, and they once again cropped up in the NFL. And I want you to listen to the response of Todd Bowles when he's asked about his fellow black coaches in the NFL and black representation in general, because I actually thought it was very refreshing. Uh, you, you and Mike Tomlin are two of the few black head coaches in the league. I wonder what your relationship is like with them and your thoughts on Steve Wilkes joining that fold. I have a very good relationship with Tomlin. Uh, we don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of very good white friends that coach in this league as well, and I don't think it's a big deal as far as us being coaching against each other. I think it's normal. Wilkes got an opportunity to do a good job. Hopefully he does it. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. 
But you also understand that representation matters too, right? And that when young aspiring coaches or even football players, they see you guys, you know, they see someone that looks like them, maybe grew up like them, that has to mean something. Well, when you say you see you guys and look like them and grow up like them, it means that we're eyeballs to begin with. And I think the minute you guys start stop making a big deal about it, everybody else will as well. I really appreciated Todd Bowles response to these questions. I don't think that these questions belong in a sports press conference. The issue of black people being pioneers in the NFL, I believe there's some merit to it. Don't get me wrong. When Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith were in the Super Bowl and they were the first two black coaches to be in the Super Bowl, I did think that was cool, and there was a certain level of historical uh, significance. But from the perspective of Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith, they were two guys who said, we got to the Super Bowl because we coached the right way, because we care about the men in our charge. We teach them to play with character and intensity, and that's what brought us to the Super Bowl. And I think that, that this, these things get overhyped, you know, just talking about these black coaches as if them being black is the most significant thing about them and not the football games that they have to play. And I found it interesting that Todd Bowles just said, you know, we just play ball. We don't see color when we are playing ball. And you know, we've gone around and around about these particular issues. I know that people will say, well, being colorblind isn't right because you need to appreciate where someone's coming from and appreciate their culture and their perspective on life. And I get that. But I loved the refreshing take that Todd Bowles had where he's like, we're just playing ball. And we're just trying to be the best coaches we can. And then he had the most mic drop moment of that short clip when he said, if you guys stop talking about it, it would not be significant. And I just feel like we have this whole subculture of people that say that these things are of utmost premium premium importance. And then they actually get upset because the people that it's supposed to affect don't think it's as big of a deal. So I just thought that that was refreshing coming from Todd Bowles. He said, you know, I'm just a football coach and I'm trying to do the best I can at that job. And I commend him for that. And I'm so thankful that he had that response. And I just wanted to share that with you. The next thing that I want to talk about is one that I will take a little bit longer to unpack with you, and that is that Proposal 3 is on the ballot here in Michigan. And basically what Proposal 3 will do is it will codify abortion into Michigan law. And the scariest thing about this is it doesn't just restore the rights that were quote-unquote lost when Roe fell earlier this year. It actually takes a lot of legislation off the books that Michigan Right to Life and pro-life legislators have fought for over the years. And I'm just going to play this video that I thought was very well done. 
about this issue, and I'm going to stop it periodically throughout to talk about each individual subject that it brings out. Michigan, this November 8th, you have the right to choose. And your choice will decide whether we wake up in a better Michigan or a Michigan that has been radically transformed. Help me understand what's going on with you. You're just not yourself lately. Mom? Two weeks ago, I had an abortion. What? How? How? How is that possible? You're only 14. Your doctor didn't even tell me. My teacher said they wouldn't have to anymore since Prop 3 passed. So I want to talk about this first point here, and that is the issue of the fact that we've had a parental consent law here in Michigan for several years, a law that says that minors cannot get an abortion without their parents' consent. And I have a family member that actually benefited from this because she went to both of her parents when she was pregnant as a teen, and they both refused to give her permission for abortion. Today, she is the mother of four children, and she is pro-life, and she is ardently so. So, her parents did not allow one foolish decision to dramatically alter and destroy her future or the future of her children. And so, parental consent is important. I find it so ironic that people fight against parental consent for abortion when the reality is that a kid who is attending school cannot even take a Tylenol without being on a list where the parents say that they consent to allowing their children to have that medicine. And yet they can, in some places and other places are fighting for, the right for them to be able to have an abortion to literally have a baby ripped from their body without their parents even knowing about it. That is sad and sick, and it's crazy that that is part of Proposal 3, but it is. I didn't know. I just don't understand why my son wants to sterilize himself, and there's nothing I can do about it. What do you mean there's nothing you can do? He's only 10, and you're his mother. Prop 3 passed and gave every individual the right to effectuate decisions about sterilization. His teacher told him that if he wants to transition, he can do this. There's nothing I can do. If he decides to go through with it, it's his choice. I didn't know. Again, parental consent is so important in matters such as this. The idea that someone can choose to transition to another sex as a minor and alter their ability to ever have children before they've even had the opportunity to process minor decisions about who they are. I mean, we're to the point where we're actually telling young kids, like kindergartners and grade schoolers, that it's okay to make these life-changing transitions. When I reviewed the documentary 
in his image several months ago, one of the things that was pointed out in there is that 80% of gender dysphoria issues are resolved through the process of puberty. And now we're in a place where more and more doctors are promoting puberty blockers so that children don't even get the opportunity to go through puberty and then see where that leaves them as far as how they feel about who they are and what that means for their long-term safety and health and their ability to have families of their own. This is serious business. And again, it's amazing that Proposal 3 covers something like that. Thanks very much for coming in. Look in all the tests. Everything's going fine. Baby is very, very healthy. But I need to ask you before we go any further, are you sure this child is not going to cause you any mental health issues, fear, anxiety, stress? I mean, it's my fourth kid, so probably. (laughs) Well, if you feel that way, we can terminate this pregnancy for you. How is that possible? Well, now the Proposition 3 has passed. You know you have the right to terminate this pregnancy up to the time of a birth. Really? Yes, if it would be advisable for the protection of your mental health. I didn't know. Here's another sicky wicket in the pro-life versus pro-abortion debate. People say, well, you need to have the abortion exception for the life of the mother. And on the surface, that sounds perfectly reasonable. Who wouldn't want the opportunity to save the mother, even if it means that the life of the child is not able to be saved? But there's some deception going on here. First of all is the fact that most of the life-saving measures where a mother would die if the baby is not taken out of her, are not even considered abortion by pro-lifers. Things like miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy have never been considered abortion by pro-lifers, by and large. The only reason to call a miscarriage a spontaneous abortion is to keep the idea of abortion out there in the public sphere. That's the only reason to use that term. The other factor that I want to bring out here is that, as I said, on the surface, the life of the mother seems like a perfectly reasonable reason to allow abortion to continue. But when you bring it to the mental health stage, you are bringing it to the next level. Because anything could qualify as mental health. You heard that conversation in this video. If if at any point you feel like you'd be overwhelmed by the birth of this fourth kid, then we can give you an abortion on the basis of mental health. And, you know, when people talk about health of the mother in a liberal sense, there's any number of factors. There's emotional health, there's financial health, there's all kinds of factors which basically bring it down to the essence of, is this convenient for you at the time? Which is already the prevailing wisdom of those who are pro-abortion. You 
are the county prosecutor. My 15-year-old granddaughter is dead, and you tell me you can't do anything to the person who killed her? I understand your frustration, but since Proposition 3 passed, the state shall not penalize, prosecute, or otherwise take adverse action against someone for aiding or assisting a pregnant individual in exercising their right to reproductive freedom with their voluntary consent. There's just nothing I can do. I didn't know. Again, this is another issue in dealing with minors getting abortions. And I want to say here that one of the significant things here is, first of all, the health aspect of abortion clinics is one of the most underregulated things in the state of Michigan and elsewhere. In the past, we at Right to Life of Michigan, when I worked there, worked very hard to enact health standards for abortion clinics. And we encouraged abortion clinics to report their health issues. And because of that, we enacted initiatives to that effect and saw many abortion clinics close when they did not meet county and city and state health standards. That was a wonderful victory for us. I've always said from the pro-abortion side, if you're going to call abortion health care, you should have to meet the minimum requirements of a health care facility. I obviously am completely pro-life, but I'm just pointing this out to point out how the health care aspect of abortion is woefully inaccurate. Because many of these places don't care if they have proper health care standards. And no one can be held accountable for the fact that a 15-year-old dies at an abortion clinic. You know, in just a few minutes, we're going to play a clip from the Gretchen Whitmer-Tudor-Dixon gubernatorial debate. And one of the issues that Gretchen Whitmer will bring up is the fact that Tudor Dixon said that a 14-year-old pregnant girl is a reason to be glad that Roe fell. And that reason is because we had coercion laws here in the state of Michigan that said that if a person was coerced in the act of having an abortion, that they would be screened for that and that the abortion would not be allowed to continue. And Tudor Dixon's point, which has been negated in every ad that has that clip of her saying about the 14-year-old being a good example, is that if a 14-year-old gets pregnant, it should not be the 14-year-old that we focus on and her need or right for abortion. It should be focused on the jerk, the creep, the monster that got her pregnant. And in many cases, when we allow for a 14-year-old to just get an abortion with no questions asked, we are allowing rapists to continue their acts. I know that's blunt, but it is so very true.
Dave. How was your day? What's wrong? I um I had to perform an abortion today. What? How, how is that even possible? You work for a Catholic hospital. And um, Prop 3 passed and gave the mother the right to make and um, uh, effectuate all abortion and postpartum care decisions. And um, she chose us, and we had to comply. I had to comply. It was her right, so... Right now in Michigan, another thing that we have on the pro-life side of things is we have what's called a conscientious objector law. That means that if you are a pro-life physician or pharmacist, you cannot be compelled to participate in abortion or any actions leading to abortion like the morning after pill. Proposal 3, as with so many other things, wipes this out. So we need to understand the far-reaching implications of this proposal. Frankly, I am dumbfounded and shocked that this proposal is so broad and wide-reaching. I don't think it should be legal for one proposal to touch so many things, but that is indeed where we are as a state. So we need to go into the ballot box on November 8th with our eyes open and with our hearts bowed in prayer before God, asking him to not allow this atrocity to be passed. Three is dangerous for parental rights, religious liberties, our children, the unborn, the newly born, the preyed upon, and the abused. It's permanent and goes way beyond Roe. Proposition 3 is dangerous for our state, for our culture, and for our society. This November 8th, vote no to protect human life in all its forms. Vote no to protect the vulnerable. Vote no to protect parental rights, religious liberties, and medical and prosecutorial rights. Choose to give your child a Michigan and a future they deserve. On November 9th, don't wake up saying... I didn't know. Choose to vote no on Prop 3, because now you know. And I will do my best to find a link on the internet with the text of Proposal 3 so that you can read it in its entirety. I know most of this stuff, we don't do that, But for this particular case, I would urge you to do so if you have any doubt about voting no. But I hope that you can see as I have unpacked this video 
the fact that there are so many things covered in this proposal that even if you are somewhat pro-choice, you need to be aware of what you're actually doing when you are passing this proposal. Like, I would venture to guess that there are a good number of pro-choice individuals who still believe that it is the right of parents to be able to oversee their children's, their minors' reproductive rights. The whole basis of being a child versus being an adult is that your parents are responsible for your decisions. And now we are on the cusp of allowing a proposal, Proposal 3, to rip those rights from parents. And I'm not even sure if the supporters of Proposal 3, even some that are out there touting it, have really taken the time to consider the broad-reaching implications. And I think there's a lot of people that probably don't want you to consider the broad-reaching implications. So all I am asking you to do is that before you go to the polls, if you have any doubt about this proposal one way or the other, that you read the proposal, that you think about these things that I have talked about, because they are of utmost importance. This past week, the gubernatorial candidates had their first debate, I believe. I think they are debating one more time before the election on November 8th. But I just wanted to share with you a clip from that debate when they were talking about the issue of abortion. It's not surprising that one of the most often questions asked for our viewers was about abortion. Each one of those questions came with a point of view. It came with what people were feeling, and sometimes it was agonizing to read some of those questions. But what I wanted to do, truly do, is I want to get to where you are on this issue very clearly. Ron from Allendale did a really good job. He asked it pretty simply when he said, please clearly explain your views on abortion. And to help Ron get to that answer, I'm going to ask you, and I will hold you to this if I can. If you support abortion rights, I want you to tell me what, if any, limitations you would accept. If you oppose abortion rights, I want you to tell me what, if any, exceptions you would allow. Governor Whitmer, your first question for 60 seconds. This is an important question. When the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade, it took away rights that we've had for 49 years, rights that I've had my whole life are now been ripped away from women and girls in this country. Michigan could revert to a 1931 law that makes it a felony, no exceptions for rape or incest, criminalizing doctors and nurses. The only reason that law is not in effect right now is because of my lawsuit stopping it. When Roe fell, Mrs. Dixon celebrated that. She said it didn't even go far enough. She said she wanted to make abortion a felony, no exceptions for rape, incest, or health of the woman, and throw doctors and nurses in jail. That is too extreme and too dangerous. We know that our fundamental rights are very much in at risk right now. I am fighting to protect our right to choose. My lawsuit would have kept the law as it is. Our legislature wouldn't take action, and so now we have a ballot initiative to vote on. I will be voting yes. Governor, thank you. I hope in your rebuttal you will answer that question about any limitations. Uh, Mrs. Dixon, I want to know if you oppose abortion rights, what 
exceptions would you make? Yes, in her first answer, she's already being dishonest. This is obviously going to be a theme for the night. I've never said that I wanted to criminalize people. I've never said I wanted this to be a felony. She just is completely making that up. My position on abortion is clear. I am pro-life with exceptions for life of the mother. But I understand that this is going to be decided by the people of the state of Michigan or by a judge. As the governor's already stated, a judge has already ruled in this case. Please understand that the governor doesn't have the choice to go around a judge or a constitutional amendment. She will lie to you tonight and tell you that the governor can do something about a constitutional amendment. But you need to understand that it's very very clearly written. And you should understand her position. It's extremely radical. It's abortion up to the moment of birth. She's already proven it with her record of voting. She voted no on a ban on partial birth abortion. That's how radical Gretchen Whitmer is on abortion. And she'll continue lying to you now. Governor, I'd like for you to define your position on abortion. Mrs. Dixon is either woefully underinformed about the office she's running for, or she's lying to you. It's that simple. A governor will absolutely impact these rights. In fact, the only right abortion is still accessible in Michigan is because of my action. This is a candidate who said a 14-year-old child raped by a family member is a perfect example of why we shouldn't have abortion rights. I've been fighting to maintain the law as it is. That's what I support, Rick. Here's the fact of the matter. To protect our rights, we cannot trust Ms. Dixon. Are there any limitations, Governor? Rick, my lawsuit would have preserved the status quo with the limitations that are on the on the books right now. The legislature wouldn't enact it, and that's precisely why we are going to the ballot now. Thank you. Your rebuttal, Mrs. Dixon. She's clearly stated she has no limitations. She doesn't even want parental consent. That's what the proposal that she's out there talking about every single day says. She's lying about my position. And I can see why she's a little confused about a constitutional amendment, because this is a governor who time and time again thought she was above the Constitution of Michigan. In fact, the people had to go to the Supreme Court to try to rip her powers away, even though she held on to them like grim death. This is how she's going to treat the people of Michigan. It is not how I will. So there you have the opinions from the mouths of the gubernatorial candidates on the crucial issue of life. And some of you may be saying, well, there's other issues at stake when you choose a governor. Why do you always talk about the life issue? Well, if we go back in history To the Declaration of Independence, what do we find? We find these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those three fundamental rights are the first talked about. But the first of the three, life, is essential to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You can't have any other rights unless you have the right to life. One of the great ironies of the abortion debate is that you cannot have the right to abortion unless your mom chose life. And I'm not going to go over this at length because, as I said, I alluded to some of it before I played this clip. But you just have to know the truth. And it really pains me 
to see Gretchen Whitmer say, well, if you had just allowed my lawsuit to stay in place, then we wouldn't have gone this ballot route. Everything would have stayed the status quo, basically implying that all of the laws that Right to Life fought for would still be in place. But because you fought me, now we're having this broad-reaching ballot proposal, which, as I said previously, is way too broad. And believe it or not, I almost feel like there needs to be a ballot proposal discussing how narrow ballot proposals need to be, because this one is probably the broadest ballot proposal I have ever heard of in my entire life. Well, I have one final thing to share with you before we get to our main segment, and this one is a little bit more cheery and less serious than the things I have shared so far today, and that is that Season 3 of The Chosen, they have finished filming, they are ready to share with us the first two episodes. They are coming to theaters to begin with, and then they will be available on the app. But here is the trailer for season three of The Chosen. You look troubled. I am. You're losing something. I know what that's like. What are you losing? say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Someone touched me. If you are really the one who is to come, should we look for someone else? Go and tell John what you hear and see. Who is it? Where did we stop? It's him. I'm Judas of Kiriot. I have chosen you twelve as my apostles. Don't feel any different? I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. What is stirring in your hearts? In the middle of such division and unrest, is Father God being revealed to you? Come to me are heavy laden and I will give you rest a scourge of false prophecy must stop Jesus if you do not renounce your words we will have no choice but to follow the law of Moses They're here for Jesus of Nazareth. More valuable than gold, more precious than rubies. Force them out. We are still Rome. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man built his house on the rock. I'm the one who caused their hunger. I should be the one to feed them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Hey there, I'm Dallas Creator of The Chosen, and I just wanted to tell you real quick that episodes one and two of season three launch in theaters November 18th. Yes, theaters, before coming to The Chosen app along with the rest of the season. And if you're not caught up, please be sure to watch seasons one and two by looking up The Chosen in the App Store or your streaming device. So that is the trailer for season three of The Chosen. I'm very excited about it, as I was about previous seasons. You can go to my website and go to the search options under audio and find playlists for each of the first two seasons of the show. Now, previously, I have waited until the whole season comes out before I review an episode. And I have not decided if I'm going to change that for this or not. I will keep you posted. I may decide to do a special episode with the first two episodes covered if I make it to theaters for this Fathom event. Or I may hold off and decide to release them conventionally as I have in the past. It also kind of sounds like they might be releasing the full season at once on the app. Again, that's not confirmed, but the way he sounded, it sounded like they may be releasing them all at once, which would allow me to get those reviews out to you sooner than normal. Uh, but I am excited, as I said once again, to explore another season of great stories about Jesus and his followers. I think that Dallas Jenkins, for the most part, does an awesome job of telling these stories and that the extra biblical content is consistent with the biblical narrative. So I just wanted to share that with you. I would encourage you to look up information. I'm going to see these first two episodes in the theaters in November because we really need to show theaters and box office people that these type of things are things that families want to see. I know uh, when they had their Christmas show um, a year ago, they had major sellouts and they actually stayed in theaters for, I think, three weeks when they were only guaranteed one. Lifemark, which I reviewed earlier this year, had a similar run where they sold very well and ended up getting extra time in theaters. So if you want to give these projects extra time for more people to see them you know i don't know how often this happens where somebody's like i want to go see a movie i'm not sure what to see um maybe i'll go see the chosen i'm not sure how often that might happen many of the people that go will probably deliberately go but how awesome would it be to have at least the idea that someone could be at the mall thinking about going to the theater and decide to go to see The Chosen, check it out, and have their lives changed. I truly believe that could happen, and so I would encourage you to support The Chosen in any way you can. One of the things I really respect about Dallas and his Chosen team is that this project has thus far been 100% crowdfunded, uh, you know, except for the opportunities to be in the box office, and... He supports a huge staff of people. Um, he wants to pay them well, and yet he still offers his content free on the app. So a lot of respect to Dallas and the Chosen team, um, and I hope that you will check that out.
Well, the time has come for our main segment today. And as I said, I'm excited to share this with you. And we're going to talk about suffering and our perspective of it. Because the non-Christians have a perspective of suffering as well. And many times atheists will say, well, the reason that I'm atheist is because I don't believe that a loving God would allow this stuff to happen. But the way that I look at it is this way. If you are an atheist, the bad stuff still happens. You just don't have an explanation for why or any peace and comfort in the process. But unlike someone who is living in nothing, came from nothing, and is going to nothing, I as a believer, and you also if you're a believer, you know that there is a purpose in everything. And one of the keys to having a successful Christian life is understanding that there is a purpose in suffering. I I know that it's a human tendency to want to avoid suffering. Who doesn't? Suffering is definitely not pleasant. But it is for a purpose. And so I'm excited to dig into that with you, starting with our quote of the day. And our quote of the day comes from one Pastor Peter Marshall, who said, God will not permit any troubles to come upon us unless he has a specific plan by which great blessing can come out of the difficulty. And I really like this quote because I really do believe that the sufferings that we go through are for a purpose. This is something that I had to wrestle with in my own life as a disabled man who struggled with the way God made me throughout my childhood and teen years, especially my early teen years, 13 and 14 particularly. I became a believer at just before five years old, but over the next nine years I had to reconcile my belief that God was the one to trust with the stark reality that I was stuck in a crippled body that I hated. And fortunately, God didn't let go of me, and he showed me that there was a purpose in my suffering. And so that's the perspective from which I want to draw as I discuss these issues with you. The first thing I want to bring out about suffering is that suffering for righteousness will be rewarded. Jesus said, Blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And that is Matthew five eleven and 12. And Jesus is basically saying, if you choose to align yourself with me, you will suffer for righteousness sake. And for 11 out of the 12 apostles, they suffered great persecution for the sake of the gospel. Most of them were killed for the gospel. They attempted to kill John, but were unsuccessful. So it appears, according to tradition, that he died of an old age, but not until after he had been exiled to Patmos 
following their unsuccessful attempt to boil him in oil. So he knew what persecution was about. And so it is a foregone conclusion that Christians will have suffering in their lives. But Jesus says, if you suffer for my sake, for the sake of righteousness, you can rejoice because you will be rewarded. And what a comfort that is. The second thing I want to talk about is that suffering conforms us to the image of Jesus. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, first of all, we see here, Paul says, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Notice he doesn't say all things are good. He says they work together for good. As I was sitting at my brother's funeral in 1992, I definitely wasn't feeling the truth of this scripture. But we had paramedics who came to help John Michael the day that he died, who showed up at the funeral home. And I'm not sure, but one or more of them may have even shown up at the funeral. And who knows what kind of hope that may have given them. I still remember to this day that I was actually reading my Bible when they came. And I have to admit, I probably didn't read my Bible very much in the ensuing year because of my struggles with bitterness. But I was reading my Bible that day. And who knows if that could have been a witness of sorts. God works things out. The next part of this passage is to talk about the plan that God has. Because he foreknew us. He knew who we were. This speaks to the pro-life issue that I talked about earlier in the episode because he created us for a purpose and he predestinated us to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. We are in a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus and one of the ways this is done is through suffering. Remember, we're supposed to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? That joy was the fact that he was going to redeem us, that he was going to give us freedom in his name. So the next time you're going through some difficult suffering, I really do hope that these verses come to mind and you realize that this is part of the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus. Because if you're anything like me and you're going through suffering, the first thing you think of is, how can I get out of it? But often what God is saying to you is, hey, I have something to teach you through it. 
I've had people at numerous times throughout my life tell me that they believe that if I had enough faith, I could be healed. Again, this idea that my suffering is just something to get out of. But the reality that I have lived in since I was 14 and rededicated myself to the Lord is that God is using me because of my limitations, not in spite of them. That my limitations give me a perspective I would not otherwise have. Waiting for my brother to get me up in the morning reminds me of my need for God my Father. So I believe that God is very deliberate in the way that he does things, and I hope that this will encourage you to trust him more. Along those same lines, our third point is suffering brings us closer to Christ. And this comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10, a very integral passage in my testimony. And he said unto me, this is God talking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And again, that's 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. And what I like about this passage is that God, first of all, says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, I'm not going to take this away. If you read a little earlier in the passage, Paul asks three times for God to remove the thorn in the flesh that he has. We're not told exactly what it is. There's some indication in the epistles that it might have had something to do with his vision. Uh, because he talks about writing in large letters in his own hand, indicating that possibly vast portions of his epistles were actually dictated to other men, like Sylvanius and Timothy. But he wrote that particular section in large letters with his own hand. But regardless of what it was, God said, I'm not going to take it from you. Instead, I'm going to ask you to trust me and to know that my grace is sufficient. And Paul's perspective changes, and he says, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. He doesn't just say, I'm going to endure my infirmities. He says, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. And why does he glory? Because the power of Christ, through his infirmity, will rest upon him. And that is a very special feeling when you know that the power of Christ is resting on you. I know on occasion I've had people ask me, how do you handle daily life with your disability? And the only thing I can say with absolute certainty is that God gives each of us the grace to handle what we need to handle. He doesn't give us other people's grace. He gives us our own grace. As the old hymn says, He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. And so I really hope that that is the case for you, that he gives you more grace as the burdens grow greater. I believe that if you trust him, That will be 
the case because he is faithful. The next aspect that I want to talk about is that our sufferings help us to comfort others. When someone goes through an unspeakable tragedy, it can be easy for us to say platitudes and try to relate to them on a certain level and fall short of doing so. But when someone endures a tragedy that you yourself have endured, you have a whole new appreciation for what that person is going through. When I see stories of people losing their infants at a very young age when they fall asleep and just die taking a nap, I can relate to that because I remember vividly July 16th, 1992, when my own brother took a walk with an angel into heaven. That's not something that you can relate to unless you have been through it. Conversely, as someone who has no children, I can't relate to what it's like to bury my child, but my parents can. So when they deal with other parents who are burying their children, they can appreciate and pray for them in a way that those of us who have not experienced that cannot even hope to understand. Here's what Paul said about that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounded by Christ. And that's 1 Corinthians 1, 3-5. So let's look at this passage. First of all, Paul is giving thanks to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ for his mercy and for his comfort. And he says here that God comforts us when we are in tribulation or trials, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort wherewith we are comforted. Meaning, we've been comforted by God, and we know that he can comfort you if you will reach out to him. And we can share that testimony of comfort with others. And then they can experience the comfort that we have experienced. And then he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounded by Christ. So Paul is talking about realizing that the sufferings of Christ changed his life and that Christ's sufferings for us gives him hope in his suffering, gives him consolation. Everything that Jesus gives us is sufficient for our daily lives. And when we consider the fact that the God of all creation suffered for us, that can give us comfort in our sufferings. We are told that we have a great high priest who is sympathetic to our weaknesses. He understands 
what it is to be us. Jesus is the only one who was fully human and yet fully God. And that, my friends, is powerful. The next aspect that I want to talk about is suffering will lead to glory. This is one of my favorite passages to reflect on when I'm having a particularly depressing day um, in relation to my disability or any other struggle that I may be struggling with. And it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. And that's Romans eight eighteen to 23 And I wanted to cut that passage short because it is quite long, but it was so good that there really was no way to do that for you, so I shared the whole thing. And the first part is the part that I quote the most often, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. But then it goes on to talk about how the whole of creation is waiting for the redemption that Jesus will bring. The Bible says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because since the Garden of Eden happened, death has been a part of the human experience. Consider the fact that when Adam and Eve realized they were naked because they sinned, they sewed fig leaves together to make garments, and God said, that's not good enough. So he killed animals to make them suits of fur to cover their nakedness. So when he kills those animals, death enters into the scene of creation. And that's why we needed a redeemer in the Lord Jesus was because death was on the scene. When you start to get overwhelmed and you wonder why the God of all comfort the God of all the world would allow such suffering, go to this passage and realize that the whole of creation is waiting for the redemption that will be finalized when Jesus comes back. And know that you can be part of it if you trust him as your Lord and Savior. Every part of creation suffers because of the fall, but everything will be made right in the end of time. The Bible says that the lion will lay down with the lamb. I take that literally, and I'm looking forward to seeing that amazing occurrence take place. We need to be assured that in the times of most suffering for us, God has a plan. Remember Job. Job went through amazing suffering all the while not realizing what was going on behind the scenes. The devil kept bargaining with God and raising the stakes. 
And God kept allowing a little bit more and a little bit more. And it destroyed Job. The only original thing that Job kept was his life and his wife. And his wife told him to curse God and die. How would you like to have that happen? That you're in the throes of this great amount of suffering and your wife says curse God and die. But that is what Job was left with. And yet God had an ultimate plan and he restored to Job more than he had before. And he gave Job ten more children. He had ten and God gave him ten more. So the end of Job's life was blessed after all of that suffering. What an encouragement that is to us. And what an encouragement also to know that the suffering that we go through has to go through the hand and the approval of Almighty God. When Satan wanted to take away Job's wealth, he had to ask God. And when that didn't dissuade Job, Satan said, well, can I take his health? And God said, yes, but don't take his life. Everything that happened to Job was under the control of God. And that should be a great comfort to us. That leads me to my final point, perhaps the most exciting point here, and that is that suffering will end someday. Revelation 21, 4 and 5 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Revelation 21, 4 and 5. So there is coming a day when God will wipe away all tears. I think about this every time I go to a funeral. I've always said that the most exciting time for the rapture to occur, in my opinion, would be at the funeral of a loved one who knows Jesus. Because the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. So if I'm at a funeral of a believer in Jesus, I'd be sitting there, watching the casket. The casket would empty because that person would be caught up together with the Lord. And then we which are alive and remain would be caught up together with the Lord as well. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What could be greater? I can't think of anything. So a quick review before we end this podcast. We learned today that suffering for righteousness will be rewarded. If we are called to suffer because we stand for the truth, we will earn a reward from the Lord Jesus, and we should be happy to be suffering for him. Suffering conforms us to the image of Jesus. That is the goal of the Christian life, to become more like Jesus. We want to become 
like the one we serve. Suffering brings us closer to Christ. So this is somewhat related, but it is more specific because it is telling us that the very act of suffering will enhance our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Paul said that his desire was to know Jesus and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. What a wonderful thought that is. Suffering is going to happen whether you believe in God or not. But when you believe in God, you have some sustaining answers as you go through the suffering that he allows in your life. Our sufferings help us to comfort others. Those who have been through a tragedy have a unique ability to help others that have experienced the same tragedy. I think this is so key, and I have experienced this in my own life. Suffering will lead to glory. So we know that the sufferings of this present world are worth it because the world to come is more important. In another passage, Paul said, the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are the things that are eternal. So our finite minds, in so many ways, can only grasp the things that are seen. But the things that are not seen are going to be so amazing that they are beyond our comprehension. And then finally, and so reassuring to me, is that suffering will end someday. There will be a day coming when suffering will be a thing of the past. And every time I lose a loved one, every time I go to a funeral, I think of that day. And I rejoice in hope, knowing that it will happen. Because God speaks in the definitive article. You will not find God saying maybe to any of his promises. His promises are yes and amen. Well, I hope that this discussion on suffering has been a blessing to you. Please, if you are benefited by this podcast, share it with your family and friends. Please send me feedback with the contact information that's about to roll at the end of the show. And please know that I really, really, really want to hear from you. If you have any questions or topics for the show, please make sure that you go to speakpipe.com slash speaking for him. That's speakpipe.com slash speaking the number for him and leave a voicemail message, which I can then later use on the show. Well, that's about all I have time for this week. Again, I would encourage you to study proposal three and make a wise decision when you go into the ballot box on Tuesday, November 8th. Remember, we have the opportunity to affect change in our culture. That's one of the unique things that we are given here in America as a free nation. So please do your research and get out and make your vote count. Thank you. Have a great week. 
and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 